Welcome back, everyone. Really excited to bring you this episode. Today, I interview Stephen Sandoval. And what's really neat about this conversation is Stephen is an alumnus of our program from a few years back, but he was just at the career conference as the hiring manager interviewing military officers to make the move from the military to corporate America. And specifically, he was interviewing for his company, Textron Systems. He had just received a promotion to a director level role. And so basically in this episode, we we start at the beginning. We talk a little bit about his experience in the Marine Corps, making the move from the Camera Brooks Career Conference to Textron Systems and, and some of the decisions that he made in order to get to where he's getting. And and throughout the conversation, the reason I love this conversation, throughout this conversation, there were so many points that I've been having conversations with about military officers making decisions about staying in, getting out, coming to corporate America, not coming to corporate America. So many points that Stephen makes that you can use in your decision-making process. And it's not for the intention of convincing you to get in or stay out or come to corporate America or don't. It's it's that you can make decisions in order to make the best decision, or excuse me, you can take information in, in order to make the best decision for you and your family and where you want to take your career. And that's exactly what Steven did in this conversation, just, just in the way that the conversation flowed. So, and, it, and, and the thing that I loved about, that I love about Steven is he's no nonsense. He, he, he gives it to you straight. And I, and I just think that uh, his style will really resonate with a lot of you who listen to this podcast. So thanks again for tuning in. If you want to know more about us, let's say you just found Cameron Brooks podcast for the first time. Uh, you can learn a ton about us on our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. Tons of media and resources to use. You can also check out uh, a copy of PCS to Corporate America. It's in its fourth edition. Written by Roger Cameron, co-authored by our CEO, Chuck Alvarez, and uh, our senior vice president, Joel Junker. Over 80 years of military officer recruiting experience, chock full in that book. All right, let's get right to it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Steven. If you were, if we were doing conferences in person, if we were back to in-person conferences, you and I, I would have at least shaken, shook hands and said hello to each other since you were just at the conference hiring, but... Uh, because that's not the way we're doing that. I miss an opportunity to see you, but uh, I appreciate you meeting me here today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Pete. It's good to be back. So let, let's start for everyone, maybe maybe just for those listening, bring them up to speed. What did you do in the Marine Corps before getting out of the military? So I actually originally enlisted in the reserves back in 2006 uh, into artillery, and then things were just happening really fast for the country uh, overseas. And so then we actually got turned into infantry and were attached to second light armored recon um, where I got to go on a combat tour in 2008, came back from that, started college, got a bachelor's degree, a bachelor's of science in psychology, but then I commissioned as an officer to get back into the Marine Corps. And that's when I stepped back in uh, active duty, and I worked in the aviate as maintenance officer for aviation maintenance, specifically the F-18. And uh, while I was in that role, I got to tour to Japan and Korea. And I think that specific experience, though, is what translated into me being competitive for a lot of the defense companies. Tell me, tell me why you ultimately chose. All right, so you you have prior service enlisted, went to college, commissioned as an officer. Um, why did you ultimately choose to make the move from the Marine Corps to corporate America? 
So there were, there were three big reasons. There were, you know, I was frustrated with the time and service speed bump is what I considered it. You know, if you need to put in so much time before you're considered for promotion, even if you might be performing higher uh, than some of your managers. And, you know, ultimately that led me to want to go work in an environment that rewarded employees based on their performance. And then lastly, I, I wanted just more control of my life. I felt like specifically as a Marine officer, you know, we had to move every two to three years and you, you had to accept orders or you had to go do this. And I just, I felt like I didn't have control of my future. And I knew that in corporate America, I, I would be able to have just a lot more of that. I want to, I want to talk a little bit. I want to keep going down the road in terms of the past, because I want people to hear, hear the pathway of where we are now. But I do think it's interesting that you, you literally just took a promotion a few months back and you're, you've moved. And that's yeah. great because you moved on your own accord and made that move based on how you're managing your career. So maybe I'll just tease that for now because I don't, I want to, I want to chronologically hear how you got there. So let's, let's back all the way back up to the conference. I actually went and pulled up all of the old conference stuff from years ago. And, you know, you had, plenty of opportunity at the conference. I mean, I think eight companies were pursuing you. You ended up receiving multiple offers. But let's just start about, let's start, let's talk about the conference. What do you remember most? And the reason I'm asking the question is a lot of times officers are trying to make decisions about, should I stay in the military? Should I not? How should I make the move? What do you remember about the conference that, that people can hear and use and maybe latch on to? So, I, I, I remember being overwhelmed with information mm-hmm. and one of the things that, you know, I, I, I wish I could tell all officers is never take advice from someone like you don't admire for that specific reason. So like, don't take business advice from a career officer, just like you wouldn't take financial advice from someone who isn't wealthy, right? Everyone's going to just throw opinions at you and you got to figure out what you want to do. Um, for the conference, I, you know, I remember like sleeping four hours because I was trying to study as much as I could about the companies. And I, I think I ate like eight granola bar that day. And it was, but at the end of the day, what the, what the interviewers appreciated more though, was just my ability to be genuine, not how many random facts do I know about the company, et cetera. And I'm not going to lie for me, I did go into that conference holding location as a priority. And now that I'm outside in the civilian world, it's most areas you're going to go work at anyways for any of these companies are going to be better than where some of the military bases are. And I, and I wish I could have told myself, like, don't worry so much about location. You're going to end up where you want to be. Um, but honestly, for me, the most memorable part about being in the Cameron Brooks program was all the practice that worked up to the conference. It was a gut check for me to be told by Joel, you know, like, hey, you're not answering that the right way. That's not what they want to hear. And especially, you know, a lot of officers are especially any alpha personality that's used to excelling, it's hard to get that gut check to be told like, you're not as competitive as you think you are yet. So let's work on it and let's figure out how you want to communicate that to the people that are going to employ you. That to me was honestly a little bit harder than the actual conference, but I'm so glad that I put myself through that, you know, driving down to Savannah and spending two hours practice interviewing and everything that to me was more memorable in my mind. I think that's a good point because it, it is really hard for someone who's been so good for so long and in a lot of times had to figure it out on their own. I mean, you know, you've got, you've received training, but you got into jobs that 
that, you know, you, you weren't necessarily trained for and you had to figure it out. So sometimes I think we're so in, in, you know, we've got this, I can do it on my own mentality. Like I've done it. I've been successful this far. Why wouldn't I do it this way? And I'm not saying people can't be successful in making the move from the military to corporate America, but it's such a shift that partnering with a company that does this for a living, right? This is what we do. We do nothing else. Um, it can be very beneficial to the to the people who see the value in what we do. So I appreciate you saying that because I didn't I didn't know you were going to say that. I wasn't sure what you were going to say, but I I think that's such an important thing for people to latch on to. Um, you you got you had a lot of options from the conference, and and I think location. It's interesting you're mentioning location because because I think you just moved to a place that you wouldn't have gone to from the conference. Yep. <laughs> live in Massachusetts. So, so let's kind of, let's, let's walk up to that. So, okay. You had multiple opportunity. Let's start with this. Why did you choose Textron initially? Location was part of it. You, you said that and I'm, I'm, I'm aligned with that. And by the way, let me just say this location is a part of everyone's journey. Like, like I, even when I got in the military and I worked for Gamer Brooks, when I got in the military, being, being in a certain region was pretty important to me and my family. So I think, I think most officers feel that way, but tell me why you ultimately chose what you chose. Yeah. So um, in my opinion, out of all the different companies that I worked for text, my specific interview that I had with the hiring manager at Textron at the conference, she knew exactly what my skill set was. And we were able to just naturally converse and what that translated to for the company. She would have ended up being my, she ended up being my manager. Uh, and she told me that she would be at that interview so it was just, I felt very comfortable stepping into that role, knowing that that position was going to capitalize on my strengths, as opposed to some of the other interviews where I think I would have, you know, I would have worked hard anyways to try to, you know, close that gap between military and civilian. But Textron was specifically looking for me for the very specific job experience I had. And I think I was just fortunate enough to have that opportunity. You guys did a good job of pairing me up with that company. Um, they met the minimum requirements that, that I wanted you know, leaving the military because I was putting 12 years behind me. You know, a lot of military officers would tell me, why don't you just do eight more and retire? So for me, I needed a Fortune 500 that showed sustainable growth. I needed the health and education benefits. Um, so all those were the minimum qualifications. But specifically with Textron, they also had a lot of different locations around the map. So I just knew, you know, what did I actually want for out of location? It's not that I wanted a specific city. I just wanted to be near some of like the creature comforts that I was used to having that I didn't have while I was in the Marine Corps. And I just knew that if I take this opportunity, it's a foot in the door. If I establish myself, I can eventually work myself to wherever I need to go to. But this is just step one. Let's talk a little bit about Julie. You're talking about Julie, right? The person you interviewed with at the conference, who, by the way, I'll have to go back and look like she we she was one of our first podcast recordings five or six years ago whatever it was so I'll have to go back and link that um, link that link that podcast in the show notes but talk a little bit about that because that for some reason lately that has been a very consistent theme with a lot of alumni that I've spoken to some of the decision not all of it you said you know you had talked about your specific skill set that you have that aligned very much with the role that you were walking into but you also talked about her. In, in making a decision, at least in part, because Julie was going to be your boss, right? I mean, is that is that what you were telling me? Yeah, no, I mean, what I 
one of the most important things for me now, if I decide to move somewhere else within the company or anything, is at the end of the day, can I be passionate about what I'm doing? And more importantly, do I like the people I work for? It, it doesn't matter where I am in my life. If I don't like the people I work for, I know I'm going to be miserable. So that one to me is very important. And Julie made the civilian workforce to me not as intimidating because she served as like this linchpin between me and them and knew what I was going through, knew what I was what I would want to relate to. And she was answering questions before I even asked them, even though she knew I was wondering them. So I just knew that position with her. She was going to mentor me. She was going to take care of me and just kind of ensure that I had the tools I needed for success. And it's it, honestly, it's it's her paired with the very specific job that sold me on the position most. I think the hardest thing for military officers to wrap their mind around is the intangible nature of the value that you just described. You know, when I'm talking to an officer, they say that to me, but they don't get it. So when they're doing research, they're looking at a company, they're on the website, but just 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 appreciate them. And this is not for you, Stephen, you're telling me. And so I'm telling whoever's listening to my voice right now, just appreciate that so much of the career search comes down to relationships and interactions and searching for those people like you, you know, how many interviews did you ultimately have? I, it looks like you had like 12 interviews or so, and you chose the one that was best suited for you, not just on a company name. Yes. Being at a big company and all of that was important. As you said, Connecting your skill set was important, as you said, but a part that you would have, you or me or anyone would have never identified from just looking at a website is Julie and the impact that she had on bringing you through with what's a potentially a very challenging transition. Do you, by the way, do you still talk to Julie? I do. Yeah, we, we stay in touch. And uh, I know she's down in Virginia right now, uh, but we occasionally just check on each other just to make sure we're doing all right. That's great. Yeah. That's cool. I'm glad you, again, I, I don't really know where all these conversations will go. You know, we throw yeah. out some questions, but I'm really glad that's such a good point. All right. So let's talk about your, let's talk about the first couple of jobs you had in Maryland, and then we'll talk about the move to, to Boston. So you, you walked into Textron and what was your primary job? What was the first job out of the Marine Corps at Textron Systems? So the very first position was aftermarket sales manager. And uh, the reason I had been, you know, we had mutually agreed. Uh, to use for me to fill that role was the fact that I was stepping into this role with managerial experience, but more importantly, as a customer, as a customer who had just used these products that Textron was still selling uh, on the flight line as a maintenance officer. So I stepped into the role and it was a complete 180 of what I was used to. So I went from being, uh, I was actually serving as an executive officer by the time I left my unit and it was 720 Marines, and I had a, a staff of officers that worked for me. And now I stepped into a role where I had five, just five very smart individuals with MBAs. And I had to just completely change my way of thinking. It went from being strategic to now tactical. And I felt like the scope of what we were doing was a lot smaller, but it was the same exact skills that I found myself using. So for example, it was, you know, the basic stuff, the team leadership, holding people accountable, facilitating. It was just doing that but now at the at the smaller like scope level but even still though i i had to go into it with an open mind because the, the stuff that they were doing was so complex that i had to just relearn everything and so your that first job out you were basically leading those super smart um technicians uh, well so they were yeah they were i mean they were salaried employees 
And it was a little bit intimidating. I'm not going to lie. You know, day one, uh, you know, one of the girls looked at me and she was like, why are you here? And I was like, hey. <laughs> right. So I had, to, you know, I and, and I think for any of the guys, any of the guys and girls listening, you always have that at every unit that you go to. You're always going to have some senior enlisted personnel that's going to doubt you. You know what I mean? And you just have to establish, you have to let them know that you're there to help them out and establish that trust. Okay, so according to LinkedIn, and I didn't ask you this before we started, but according to LinkedIn, you were in that job, but for a second before getting promoted. How did is that right? How long were you in that role, and then what did what did the promotion look like? It was four months, and then they moved me. I mean, I felt like I was still trying to get my head out of the water before they moved me into a different position. But uh, for me, I felt like it was just being at the right place at the right time and making sure that I was blooming where I was planted. So the reason I say that is because. I, I hit the ground running as soon as I got there uh, to try to just wrap my head around what was happening. While I was doing that, there was an operations position that was currently be, being filled by a gentleman whose wife had heart issues. So his wife, uh, his wife's family was in Texas and he was like, hey, I'm moving to Texas. I'm taking my wife back to near her family. I got priorities. And so, of course, the company was like, do what you need to do. So he left and uh, Unbeknownst to me, that position was unfilled for two months, and it was a very pretty significant operations manager position so that you had this big team of people that didn't have a leader that was reporting to them. And so now I'm at month four of this aftermarket sales position, and our management at the company had gotten together to figure out, you know, what are we going to do about this role? And they found out that I had a lot of operational experience, and they came to me and told me like, hey, we think you'd be good for this role. For me, the part that was actually the most challenging was the fact that they essentially told me, this is a lateral move. You're not going to get any more money. And it's like triple the responsibility, but we think you'd be good for it. And I had to, you know, I, <clears throat> I had to decide like, am I comfortable where I'm at or do I want to go prove myself? I know it's going to be hard. Uh, I decided to take the jump um, because I, I, I have this thing where I feel like if I'm getting too comfortable, maybe I'm not progressing forward. Um, so I took the position and it was literally one of the best things for me because it exposed me to all the different aspects that affect the supply chain that I wasn't getting when I was in that very comfortable role of being that aftermarket project manager, you know? So, and you don't have to go too far down the weeds, but just so people can kind of see and peek on the other side of the fence, when you say all the aspects that affected the supply chain, can you give us a sense of what that actually means? Yeah, no. So I I think I got a pretty good analogy and I'll keep it under one minute, (laughs) but in my opinion, the product life cycle in in a manufacturing environment is like on a football field and, you know, all, all the different players on that field are the planning team, the quality team the business development, the operational team. And in my, and the operations team owns just the 10 yards. They're the ones that actually build, test, inspect the product and ship it. But it's everybody else that owns the rest of the field. And that normally, unless you have the rare opportunity to be exposed to all those different positions, you're not going to be too familiar with, but they all impact you as an operations manager. You said manufacturing. I think some people have a skewed view or or a perception of what manufacturing is and it's you know it's it's usually based on nothing but tell me tell me okay what does that mean manufacturing right yeah we felt that struggle a lot actually because you know people are scared of the word manufacturing sometimes or they're scared of the word factory because they think of you know we're making ten thousand bottle caps like in modern marvels or something and that is not the case we're actually making you know maybe five to 20 of something 
uh, that's very engineering heavy because it's customized for a weapons platform like an Apache, like a Eurofighter, like an F-35. And it's we're still making it from raw product to the deliverable. So that's why it's considered manufacturing. But even the area that I'm in now, where we do a lot of the missile and space stuff, we'll make maybe one to two a year. That's it. The rest of the time, we're actually doing engineering tests and everything. So yeah, I think the word manufacturing, I like, I think you're exactly right. I think people think factory. I think they think, you know, pouring a big vat of molten, melted metal from one thing to a smaller right. thing with sparks flying everywhere. And certainly that is a very sliver of manufacturing. Manufacturing is nothing more than taking a raw product and making something else, as you just described. So, um, okay, so let's talk about your move to Boston. Um, so first off, would you clarify something I said earlier from the conference? Would you have moved to Boston? If I was back in the conference back in time, yeah. I would have said, no. I would have said, no, I wanted to stay in the, you know? <laughs> okay, good. Okay. That's perfect. So, so you started in Maryland in, in a good location relative to yeah. what you guys were trying to do. Um, recently, you know, moved to Boston. Tell me why, like, to, and this, by the way, let me just say this real quick, Stephen. Your story is the story we try to tell everyone, which is when you get out of the military and build a skill set, and it's going to take a, a few years. We call that the transition, right? But when you build a skill set over a few years in a new industry and in a new company, it gives you so much experience and leverage to decide what you want to do next. And so in this case, you're actually moving further away than where you're from. You're moving further away temporarily, I'm sure, but who really knows um, from where you ultimately wanted to be when you got out of the Marine Corps. Tell me why. Yeah. So it's, I was actually talking about this with one of the candidates that I was interviewing the other day and it's the percept, your perception changes so much when you're in control of it. And, you know, it's, even if you might make the same decision that puts you in a similar situation that you would have been in the military, it's so different when you're the one that decided that. So for example, in the military, you know, you're going off, you're, you're a captain and you're about to go off for promotion to major and they say, okay, well, you got to move here to get that promotion. Um, and you begrudgingly accept that and move somewhere that you don't want to go. For me, um, that's what it felt like from this position, from this operational manager to director um, and by the way, more importantly, I turned down three different positions. So that's the other thing that I really like about the corporate environment is that if, if you like where you're at and you're good at what you do and you don't want to move, you don't have to. So that's okay. And I waited for the perfect opportunity though of financially, is this worth it? Does my wife want to move here too? And oh, by the way, now that I've stepped out of the South, the rest of the U.S. isn't really that bad, <laughs> which is something I had to come to terms with. Um, but I waited for the perfect opportunity. And once I could agree to the deal on my terms, I said yes. And, you know, apart from selling the house and buying another one and, you know, doing all that kind of admin paperwork, it really wasn't that painful at all for me. And I'm really glad I made the move. I mean, if I could just take like the last two minutes and bottle that and publicize it to the world. I mean, <laughs> I love it. I love what you just said. It's something that I have never said, but I think I'm going to start trying to describe location in this way. Your perception changes when you have control. Man, that is yeah. so powerful. Yeah, because 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 when you're in control, maybe you'd be willing to go somewhere that, eh, you know, it's not my favorite spot and probably won't be there forever, but man, to get what I'm getting, it's interesting. You turn down three spots to get there. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, on that, on that control thing, one thing that I related to that I think some of the, some of the guys and girls on active duty right now is 
you know, you hate running right now so much, but when you get out and you leave, like you're going to step outside and be like, maybe I can go for a three mile run and you don't hate it. And it's so amazing. Like that's how it is for like all of your decision making. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your director level role. What do you, cause, cause this is, this is another question I get a fair amount. Okay. What's the, what's the career progression look like? And it's so hard to answer because because of what you just said, okay, you stepped into a role initially, got promoted in four months, turned down three other opportunities to ultimately choose this one. I mean, that is a total, you know, yep. choose your own adventure. Right. And it's, and I think it kind of, you know, it relates into another topic that we probably want to cover is, you know, what, what's one of the biggest lessons that I had also coming out of the military and what did I learn the most in the business world is that there is no roadmap for success. There is no plan like we typically are used to getting in the military, you make it what you want to make. You want to, you know, take a slow climb, you can. If you want to get out of your comfort zone, you can. But the director role is essentially, it's above the operational manager's role. But now it's incorporating a lot of those support divisions that help um, get product out the door. So now, for example, I do have planning a planning team under me. I do have the facilities team, uh, the mechanical engineers, and this is all separate from just the manufacturing team. So now we're all together and it's my job to make sure that our goals are aligned so that we can continue shipping product on time. Uh, so it's, it's it, I feel like I, I did have to prove myself to the company to make sure that I knew that I was capable of understanding those other different roles so that I could be entrusted with managing them. Uh, but to me, it's very rewarding because every week is a different challenge. Now, the regarding the other positions that I turned down, one of them was a director of operations too. At the time, I'm just I, I became very passionate about the defense stuff that we do. It's easier for me to get more passionate about the products that we're making when I know exactly what they're doing. Um, and one of the other positions actually would have been very rewarding. Um, it was in charge. It would have been in charge of industrial engineers and process engineers, and they were tasked with, you know, like making all the different sites of Textron a lot more efficient. And I think that would have been a very rewarding experience. But I knew the team that I would be working for, and there was nothing bad about them at all. I just knew that they managed in a different way that didn't complement the way I liked to be managed. So even though I loved the position. Internally within the company, I decided to not take that role. Someone else did, by the way, and they're not going to park. And I'm glad it worked out. Um, but I decided not to take that role just because of I, I knew I would struggle with the relationships I would have with that leadership team. So I said no, even though it was a good opportunity. And then this uh, this opportunity for director came along, and it was unplanned completely. So at the time, I was an operations manager. We had a prototype effort come down the line that nobody wanted to volunteer for, and I, I jumped on it. Uh, because I was very passionate about what they were doing with this prototype product. And it was three months and it was grueling. I mean, it was like some Lockheed Martin skunks work type stuff. We were working like 60 hours, but it was a complete volunteer force. Everyone loved being there. Um, and what I didn't know at the time was that there was a vice president actually watching me the entire time to see if we were going to be able to pull this off. And as soon as we did pull it off, we delivered early, we delivered on time. And I mean, it felt like it took a miracle to get there. Um, but then he approached me and he was like, hey, I like what you did with that. What do you think about director? And from there, we negotiated the position and location and everything. So what I didn't know is you never know when you're being interviewed for a position in corporate America and somebody might like you and offer you that position. So just keep doing what you do, put your best foot forward and the opportunities will come. 
I really do think that's one of the hardest things to, for officers to wrap their mind around. I'm sure I was the same way when I was in the military because, you know, I, I affectionately, because I'm not trying to be rude, called promotion in, in the military a conveyor belt. Time, service, boom, you get promoted. But, and so when people are asking what's the career, career trajectory, it's just undefinable because exactly what you just said you know, you were just doing your thing, being passionate about your job. And suddenly someone who has, I mean, it's just one way to do it. There's multiple ways to get promoted, but someone has authority comes up to you and says, Hey, I really love what you did here. What about coming to work on my team? Um, okay. I mean, it's just, how do you predict that? You didn't go into that project thinking you were going to get promoted. You went into that no. project because you wanted to be a part of the project. Right. And the one thing that I tell a lot of my managers now is that I'll opportunity will always present itself and it's never going to be gift wrapped. It's always going to look like something that you don't like. It's going to look intimidating. It's going to look scary, but just take it because you don't know what it's going to turn into. So good, man. Okay. Let's uh, let me change gears. I, I, we could do this all day. I, 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 yeah. The message is just so resonant relative to what officers are thinking about and going through. Let's talk about you at the conference. Okay. So now the tables are turned. But now you're on the other side of the table. You're basically in Julie's seat from when you came to the conference years ago. Um, what was that like? I tried to convey what Julie conveyed in me to the candidates I was interviewing. And I, I started my interviews from the bat like that. I let them know, like, hey, relax. We're going to take it easy on this one. This one's going to be a lot more conversational. And my priority was just to be very honest with them, let them know the good and the bad about the position that would fall uh, under our team. And I think they really appreciated that. I could see them physically. I could see their shoulders drop and them being like, okay. And that's when I was able to get some of the more genuine responses out of them. You know, it was long, it was exhausting. Uh, it was just as exhausting in my opinion as interviewing, just because I, I you know, I, I really do. I need to figure out who are we going to bring into the company? Who's the company going to invest in? Uh, so it was just as tiring for me as it was for them. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that at least the candidates that interviewed with me can say that it was probably one of the, hopefully one of the more enjoyable interviews. Well, I know you'll talk to Chuck here if you haven't already, and he'll give you, he'll give you some specific feedback. But my suspicion is that will be the case because that was your intention, is to help, is to be yeah. helpful and, and pay it forward, just like Julie did for you. And I remember Julie at her conference. And so it's just a, it's just a beautiful model when JMOs get out of the military and, and really pay it forward as it relates to helping military officers. One of the things I want you to just expand on, and you don't necessarily need to get into the nitty gritty, but you know, you said you told the officers the good and the bad. And, and I think that's really important because, you know, getting out of the military is not grass is greener. It's just a different color, still have challenges, still have bad days. I mean, it's work, you know, as my pastor likes to say, work is work. I mean, I don't care if you love your job, it's still work is work. So what did you mean by that? Can you, can you expand on that just a yeah. little bit? So for some, you know, some of the generals things that I told them about like the position, and I think this is probably applicable to most jobs out in the civilian market is that you're not going to have that training guide. Once you come out here, you're going to have to learn through initiative. All right. So a couple more questions. We'll land the plane. First question, best day at Textron thus far. My favorite day out of every year at Textron is the year that I get to hand the day that I get to hand out uh, pay raises just because I get to reward performers for what they're doing. Um, so that's every year. Um, but separate from that, 
I think one of the most rewarding days that I had as a whole um, was after my process engineers and I had gotten together to reorganize this manufacturing facility that went from, you know, it, it looked honestly just like a big, like dirty warehouse. <laughs> I'll be honest. That's why they put me over there to fix it. But um, that's what it used to look like. And then we turned it into this very high performing, efficient machine um, that was in world class. And we were, you know, we had tripled production 300%. Everything had a place and a home and a system, but Textron started flying in operational managers from other divisions in the country to show them what we had created as a team and said, this is the standard. This is what we want you to go back and take to your site. And I think that was very rewarding for a lot of reasons. One, the company appreciated what we were doing, but two, it reminded me that at a company like the one I was at, my management hasn't had entrusted me with hundreds and thousands of dollars and my team to take that and mold it into what we wanted it to be. Okay, well, you've been doing this for like the whole conversation, but I don't wanna miss an opportunity because I did give you this question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself right before you left the Marine Corps? You don't know everything and be ready to have your mind changed. You know what I mean? This is what I thought about location. Um, but more importantly, as you're making this transition out, you're going to be overwhelmed with advice. And if that person doesn't do something that you admire regarding that advice, then just block it out and do what, what feels right for you. You know, it's, they, they told me I shouldn't join the Marines and I joined the Marines. And then they told me I shouldn't leave the Marines. And then I left the Marines. And it's just been little patterns like that throughout my whole life. Of a lot of people that were older than me giving me advice, but I mainly just went towards who are the ones that I want to emulate those are the people whose advice I took. And normally, I mean, that that's what always ended up resulting in me getting what I needed out of life, out of a career. Um, so just be very picky about the information that you, that's being thrown at you. Um, just, just know what you're hearing. Great way to end our conversation. There are so many points that I think military officers who are wrestling and struggling with making decisions about the future. Appreciate no, no problem. I, I hope that. I hope that I was able to connect at least just once or twice with a question somebody has that, that I know they don't want to ask. So there's no doubt about it. Steven, thank you, man. Good luck on in the new role and we will talk soon. All right. Thanks again for having me. Take it easy. All right, everyone. Thanks for uh, sticking in and, uh, and listening to the conversation with Steven. Hopefully he said some things in the podcast that really resonated with you and really will help you in your process and in your decision, either giving you information or giving you a confidence about the direction you're going. Um, stay tuned for the next one. We'll come out with that in a couple of weeks. For now, you guys have a great day.